First Peter, chapter one, verses three through nine. Blessed be the Lord God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Excuse <coughs> me. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, ladies. We're uh, continuing this morning in our series. We've been studying the book of John, I guess, for a couple of years by now. And uh, we've been studying from chapter 17. Uh, Chapter 17 is the closing prayer of the Upper Room Discourse. And it's often titled, The Great High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. You know, we have a prayer that's called the Lord's Prayer, but really the Lord's Prayer is not the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's instructions to us about how to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus was at the very end of his ministry, this is what he prayed. The night in which he was betrayed, this is how he prayed for his disciples. Now, we've noticed in the last couple of Sundays that he began, in a way, by praying for himself. He asks the Lord to glorify the Son, and he asks the Father to glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. And, but, but then, uh, the, the last verse we were looking at last Sunday in John 17 uh, <clears throat> He points out that when he prays for himself in this way, glorify me, glorify your son, he's actually praying for us. That we uh, are the ones who need the glorification of the son of God. And we've observed that this glory uh, came about through his death when he's lifted up on the cross and then through his Uh, return to the Father's resurrection, ascension, and his coronation, we could call it, is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, at the right hand of God. And in that path of his glory, through the cross, to the resurrection, ascension, coronation, the promise of his return, in that path, we are redeemed. And he says, right in the first few verses of this chapter, he says, uh, I, that I may give them eternal life. 
And we want to remember as well that he, in that very sentence, defines exactly what eternal life is. You know, it's uh, not what I think of that he emphasizes. When I think of eternal life, I think, well, the thing that matters is that it's everlasting. It goes on and on. I stay alive forever. But Jesus, of course, that is true, and that is good. But the thing that Jesus emphasizes is this. He says, this is eternal life. This is the very nature of eternal life. I think we could say this is the very nature of life. Because the alternative is death. And to remain in death, and he, when he gives us eternal life, this is what he gives us. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, the very nature of eternal life is a a reopening of fellowship with the living God. And, of course, that's how Adam died, was he separated himself from God. And that's how he led all of us into death, separating us from fellowship with God. And what Jesus accomplishes by the work of the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the coronation, the coming return, what Jesus accomplishes in all of those things is a restoration of us to fellowship with God. And even now, we have access to the Father, boldly coming before the throne of grace. And so we have life eternal in Christ. Well, all of that was a kind of a way to review. We've, we've talked about those two requests, glorify the Son and glorify me with the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world. And today, we're coming to a third request, and I just want to kind of read this section, uh, starting in verse 9, where Jesus says, Uh, I ask on their behalf, okay, so I'm praying on their behalf, who, we might say, who's, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about those that have been given to him by the Father. He's said that a few times already, uh, and he's about to say it again. <laughs> I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with you, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So we come to this third request, which is, Father, keep them. Keep them. So we might want to ask, first of all, who is them? Well, in the context of this text, them is those you have given me, he says that. Keep them. Those you've given me. And he says, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. You gave them to me. I'm giving them back to you. Keep them. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. You gave them to me. I've been keeping them. Now I'm giving them back to you. You keep them. So those who belong to God are the ones we're talking about. Those who have belonged to God, the Father, who were given to the Son. The Son has given them eternal life. The Son is giving them back to the Father, and he says to the Father, keep them. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you're someone who believes in the Lord Jesus and trusts yourself to what he has accomplished for you in giving you eternal life, you are a gift from the Father to the Son, and then from the Son to the Father. They've given, the Father gave you to the Son, the Son has given you to the Father, and the Son prays, keep them. It's a very interesting word, keep, and we've discussed it before because it's a very important word in the book of John. But what does it mean to keep? Well, it it literally means, it's a combination of two words that means uh, watch over. (laughs) It has the idea of watching. It means to look after, see to. So the Lord Jesus is saying, watch over them, look after them, see to them. This word is used for uh, someone protecting something. I keep it, I keep it safe. Or reserving it. There's a text where this word is used to say, keep it for later. It's that text where uh, the... Uh, Mary Magdalene is pouring out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, and the disciples are all like, what's she doing? Especially Judas. But anyway, and Jesus says, let her keep it for the anointing, for the preparation for my burial. Nobody had any idea what he was talking about at the time, but we understand she was reserving this expensive thing for this worshipful practice, this anointing of the body of Jesus for burial. Well, that's the same word, to reserve something or to take care or to guard even. Uh, We also learn that keeping is what shepherds do for sheep. There's, in the Christmas story, there's, this word is used, the shepherds were keeping their flocks by night. So this is kind of a rich word. And Jesus is saying, Father, keep them. 
And we might say, well, keep them how? Or maybe where? <laughs> because when you keep something, it's some place. So how does Jesus envision the Father keeping those who the Father has given to the Son and the Son is now giving back to the Father? He's, he says, keep them in your name which you have given me. Oh, well, that's interesting. Keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Now, this we could interpret a, a few different ways. So, for example, maybe keep them in your name is Jesus saying, in your name, I say, keep them. Like we say at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name. And in that way, Jesus is invoking the very authority of God. I think that's probably a pretty good assumption because he says, in your name which you've given me, the authority of the Father is invested in the Son, as we've read time and again in the book of John. I have this mandate from the Father to give eternal life to those he has given me to give eternal life to. And so, in your name has that idea of under your authority which you've given me keep them. But it might also indicate uh, something like, where are we to be kept? In and under the authority of God exercised by the person of Jesus Christ. Keep them. Hmm. Now, there's, he says this request twice. I don't know if you notice, but he says, keep them in your name, the name which you've given me. And then later, uh, he says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So the father is, is going to keep the disciples. He's going to keep them in his care and in safety from the evil one. Now, it's an interesting expression here, the evil one, because it doesn't actually say the evil one, it just says the evil. <laughs> That's interesting, and uh, it's a reasonable way to translate it to say the evil one, and we mean Satan, the devil. He's certainly our enemy, and he's certainly one the Lord needs to keep us from. But it might also be a more general reference. And here in this context, I think it probably is a more general reference because he's talking about them, us, them, us being in the world, in the world that hates us, in the world that, because we're not of the world, they hate us. And he's saying, I, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them in it to keep them safe from the evil of the world. Well, I don't know that we really need to sort this out because the world, what do we know about the world? Well, the world is the domain of the devil. That's what we know about it. And so one enemy is as good as another here, and the Lord is keeping us from all of the above, I think we might say. So he's keeping us in his name, in the shelter, I'm reminded of the psalm, you know, 
the the shelter of the being under the Lord's wing, that care that keeps us safe. And he's keeping us there, and he's keeping us from the world, the evil, the, the devil. Well, we can go on. So we have this request, Father, keep them. Keep them in your name. Keep them from the evil. Keep them for what? You know, Jesus isn't just asking the Lord to keep them for no reason or for no purpose. And he gives a very interest. He says something very interesting here. Uh, <clears throat> keep them. I just, sorry, I just got to find my place. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. So one of the consequences or the purposes of this keeping is going to be uh, oneness of some kind, that they may be one, that they may be one, just as we are one. Now, we're going to hear this a few times in this prayer, this idea of the oneness of the triune God somehow coming to include us. I just want you to stop and think for one second, what? <laughs> what? Wait, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says, keep them so that they will be one just as we are. <laughs> well, I can think of several things. What that means, just as we are, it means that they may be as much one as we are one. Well, how much is that? Jesus has said it time and time and time and time again. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. I only act according to his act. I only speak according to his speech. If we were to ask the question, how one is the Son of God and the Father God, the answer is there's only one God. They're as one as one can be. Somehow, there's more than one in one. <laughs> there's three, and there's one. There's three persons and one being. There's only one God, but there's three persons in the one God. We can't even figure out how to talk about that, and we've been working on it for 2,000 years. So how one are they? Well, the answer to that is perfectly one. And the other question we might ask is not how much, but how? In what way are they one? Because they are identifiable persons, more than one, 
In what way are they one? Well, they're in absolute agreement about all things at all times for all eternity. That's one way. Also, they are one in this sense. They enjoy perfect fellowship at all times. They know one another perfectly. They are completely acquainted. Completely acquainted, I would want to ask you. Is there anyone other than God who knows all there is to know about you? And the answer is no. Even you don't know all there is to know about you. But God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit know absolutely everything there is to know of the others. Their fellowship is total. And Jesus, when he prays that we would be one just as they are one, he is asking the Father to give us the sort of intimate fellowship that they have. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I think this is what Paul is talking about when he describes the Christian as being in Christ. How do I have this fellowship with God the Father? I have it in the Son and by the Spirit. That's how. That's the only how. How do I become involved in this kind of oneness, it is only by being united to Christ by the Spirit because I was given by the Father. So I experience union with Christ, and in my union with Christ, I have union with the Father. Oh, and with you. And in our union with Christ, we become one new man, according to the book of Ephesians. Not each a new man, but one new man together in Christ. Now, this is the very thing that the world and the devil oppose. You see, what the devil tempted Adam with is Separation, independence. And he didn't, you know, point out right away, he didn't point out in that temptation that that meant death because life is in oneness with God. He also didn't point out to Adam and Eve that when they separated from God, they would be separating from each other in a way they were surprised by and ashamed of. Suddenly they had to put clothing on. They didn't want intimacy with each other because they had rejected intimacy with God. All of these things are reversed in Christ. But this is what the devil and the world oppose. It's what Jesus called in chapter 15, 
abiding, abiding in Christ. You see, what the devil and the world are after is self-made, independent humanity. And what the world and the devil don't notice is that means ultimately isolated. And that means dead. So Jesus prays that the Father would keep us and that in the Father's keeping, we will be one as the triune God is one. And that is in a way that I don't disappear, but I become one with him, in him, by him. And I become one and I become involved in that great fellowship of glory. And so do you. And so we are one. Now, there's another reason he gives for this keeping prayer. Comes a little bit later. He says, while I was with them, I was keeping them. In your name, which you've given me, and I guarded them. Not one of them perished, but the one who was to perish so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that, oh, here we go. Here's another purpose for this prayer that the Father would keep us. He says, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Again, again, what is the level of joy that Jesus is seeking by asking the Father to keep us. What is the joy he's seeking? His own joy. You might say, well, how joyful is the joy of Jesus? How joyful is the joy of Jesus? Well, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's pretty, pretty hefty joy. The psalm says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Already in that passage about abiding in Christ, Jesus said to us, I'm telling you these things so that you will have my joy and that you will have my joy in its fullness. Fullness of joy. So, these two things are kind of two ways of talking about the same thing, aren't they? That Jesus is praying that the Father would keep us so that we would experience union with Christ and in Christ union with the Father and in Christ and by the Spirit union with the Father and with one another that we would enjoy open, intimate, accepting fellowship, love, one, loving one another, loving him, loving everyone. Well, that is joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. The more I know the presence of God, the more I know joy. 
The more I live in the presence of God, the more I live in joy. And this is not something I do. It's something accomplished for me. Jesus is praying. He's not asking me. He's not asking me to be joyful. He's asking God to keep me so that I will have his joy in full. Wow. So, why is he asking? Well, he says, I've been keeping them, and now I'm coming to you. Okay, so we need keeping. <laughs> and he, while he's been around, he's been, keep, he's been doing the keeping, and he's saying, now I'm coming back to you, Father. Uh, somebody needs to keep the sheep. He says, I've, I guarded them. I didn't lose a single one. And the, by the way, this little reference here, except the son of perdition, he's saying, I didn't lose a single one except the one that was lost. And then he says, I've given them your word. Very interesting, because when he says, I've given them your word, the, the verb there, given, is in the perfect tense. In other words, it has been delivered to them and they have gotten it, which yeah, he already said, we talked about that last week. I gave it to them, now they have it. And what is their word? Anyway, what is your word? It's him. It's him, and it's the scripture with reference to him. The Logos, the word of God who became flesh. If we ask, how did Jesus give the disciples the word of God? The answer is, he was born, and he lived, and he knew them face to face, and they knew him, and he explained, and they got it. He says it right here, they've kept your word. Same word, kept. Now, so these are, this, this is what's motivating Jesus to ask fa the Father, I've been keeping them and now I'm coming to you. He says, I guarded them and I haven't lost a single one. I gave them your word. And then here's the key. They are to remain in the world. I'm coming back to you, but they're staying here. They need keeping. He says, they're, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. The world hates them, just like it hates me. They are remaining in the hostile environment of the world. Keep them. Keep them. Well, this reminds me of John chapter 10, of course. 
as a lot of things do. (laughs) John chapter 10, the good shepherd, the good shepherd, the good shepherd. My sheep, this is John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I was listening to a another pastor this week, and he made this point. He said, you know, God doesn't have any anxiety or trouble keeping track of who belongs to him. (laughs) We sometimes can't tell who belongs to him, but God knows who belongs to him. And this says... If you belong to him, you figure it out. I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. How good is the keeping? My Father who has given them to me, I mean, Don't you think John 17, this prayer, is supposed to remind us of John 10? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How good is the keeping? When Jesus says, Father, keep him, keep them, The answer is yes. I will. And not one will be lost. Jesus says, we don't lose a single one. I will raise them up in the last day. I give them eternal life. Not revocable life. Eternal life. And so... As we come to close here, I want to ask you a question. (laughs) What is the role of the disciples in this conversation Jesus is having with the Father? What is the role of the disciples? Bystander. They're just hearing what Jesus says. When Jesus asks the Father to keep those the Father has given him, those he has given eternal life, does he check with them? No. Here's another way of asking this question. It's in the bulletin here. Christian, Christian, Is there anything for you to do here? The way Jesus describes all of these things, they are things God is doing, has done, or will do. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He does these things. 
When Jesus wants you kept, who does he ask? Oh, that is such an important question. When Jesus wants you kept, he does not ask you to do the keeping. Oh, if only Christians could get this. We are always trying to keep ourselves. We are always thinking it's up to me to be kept somehow. But Jesus doesn't say, Christian, keep yourself. He says, Father, keep them in your name, by your power, in your authority. No one is able to snatch them from the Father's hand. When Jesus wants you kept, he asks the Father, not you. Now, there is something for you that, that the disciples did in this text. Did you hear it? There is a thing the disciples did. They kept his word. They kept the word. <laughs> Here's what you do. Take it. Take it and trust it. What is it? Jesus. Jesus. Take Christ and trust Christ. Rest in the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you do. Now, I would tell you, you do that because God did what God does, and so you do what you do because of what he did. Okay. Rest in God's good keeping. You know, I think about this prayer, and I, I keep asking myself the question, when Jesus prays, is the answer ever no? No. When Jesus asks the Father to keep those the Father has given to him, the Father is faithful. That's the song we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's in the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Hitherto thy hand has led me. Thou hast brought me to this place. And I know by thy good something, you will bring me safely home by thy good grace. You don't bring yourself home. God brings you home. Because God, <laughs> the Father, hears the prayer of God the Son and God the Spirit works in us to rest ourselves in his good grace. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your keeping care that you are watching after us, that you keep us safe in Christ, and that you will bring us home in the end, and that we can even now grow in our union 
with Christ. And so our union with you, and so our union with one another. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Help us along the way. Help us to trust ourselves to this great work which you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.